Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading we just heard in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the great hope that you have promised us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Especially now, O Lord, as we live in this time of uncertainty and anxiety and fear, we are in need of your word and your promises. So God, we ask this day that you would grant us your Holy Spirit and you would strengthen our hearts in faith. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Boy, do we need this passage today. This text from 1 Thessalonians is a wonderful gift uh, that the Holy Spirit has granted to us on this particular week. And what a joy it is to hear this text. It's one of those texts that takes your eyes, which are so fixed on all the problems and the anxieties and the uncertainties of the world, and, and it, it takes your head, which is so fixated there, and it turns it straight to Jesus Christ. It's one of those texts that takes your ears and fixes them on the promises of God. And after this last week, I tell you what, I think this is something we need. We need the gift of the Holy Spirit to give us hope. And so this is what he does so graciously today. Now, I, don't, I don't know about you. Maybe the last couple of weeks for you have been completely anxiety-free and full with joy and laughter and happiness. That might be what describes your life. I don't know. For me personally, not quite as much, okay? Uh, personally, over the last couple of weeks, I have been filled with a bit of anxiety and uncertainty. As you know, last week we had to decide to, uh, to sort of make a decision. We had to decide to make a decision. That's very good English right there. Uh, what we were going to do with the church because we found out we had a couple of folks who, who came down with COVID. And we decided the wisest course of action was uh, to sort of just shut down the sanctuary for a week. And, and, I, and I, I think it was the right decision. I, I'm, I think we made the right choice there. Uh, I'm not happy that we made the decision. I'm not happy that I made the decision. I don't like doing that, but I think it was the right thing to do. Nonetheless, regardless, it still filled me with anxiety and uncertainty. It still kind of does. Uh, we also want to remind you, though, that we do have a couple of brothers in the church who did get COVID, and they need your prayers. So please continue to keep them in your prayers. The Lord is watching over them, uh, but we do want to pray for God to grant them full recovery and full health. We also, I don't know if you heard about this, but there was an election, I think, uh, this last week. Uh, we went and voted for stuff anyhow. Uh, and now, uh, once the election's done, I guess after Tuesday, all the uncertainty and anxiety just went away. Turns out it didn't. Turns out we're going to be dealing with this sort of thing for a very long time. And uh, I, I just think it's so amazing the more I listen to everybody talk, everybody is so certain and convinced of everything that's going to be happening, and the louder uh, every side gets about how convinced about how right they are, the less I tend to believe them. It just seems that anxiety and uncertainty are sort of littered all over the place right now. And it's into the midst of all of this and perhaps we should say, in ruling and reigning over this, is Jesus the Christ who forgives our sins and calms our fears. Jesus who after walking out of the grave and appearing to his fear-filled friends said these marvelous words to them, fear not. Jesus who when speaking to his disciples said this, and speaking to us I think today says this, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And he has. He has overcome the world and he has done that and he has done that for you. This world and life so racked with uncertainty and anxiety, so racked with sin and death, because of Jesus Christ we know will only be this way temporarily. 
For Christ has overcome the world, he has conquered the grave, and he is making all things new. Now it's with those words, I want us to think a little bit here about those words from Jesus this morning, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. With these words, Jesus tells us and reminds us that as Christians, we live right now in a time of sort of two realities, two realities. The one reality is this world of trouble, that in the world we will have trouble, that we live now in what Martin Luther calls this veil of tears. And, and it is a time full of sin and uncertainty, anxiety, and death. And this is a reality in which we find ourselves. And yet at the same time, we who are baptized into Christ Jesus and have faith in Christ Jesus know that that's not the only reality. The other reality we have is the reality, the even stronger reality, of the hope we have in Christ Jesus. That the grave is conquered and that our sins are forgiven and Jesus is indeed coming again to make everything right. He has conquered the grave, and he has overcome this world. Both of these things are true. And so as we come to our reading from 1 Thessalonians today, what we find is that St. Paul is showing us that how as Christians we are to respond to these two realities, how we are to respond to the realities in which we find ourselves. And the two categories Paul gives to us today for response are these. He says as Christians we both grieve and we have hope. There is grief and there is hope. Listen to what he said. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. And I want to give you a little background here about what St. Paul is doing here in this epistle. He's writing to a church in Thessalonica whose end times theology, their theology of death, is all messed up. Their doctrines are all confused. And I know so often we want to say, oh, doctrine doesn't matter. But doctrine matters immensely because the doctrine these people believed was ripping away their fear, or was ripping away their hope and their faith in Christ. And so uh, the thing that was going on there was this, is that in Thessal the Thessalonian church, they were operating with the old Greek notion that death is the end, that death is it. You live and you die and there's nothing more. Uh, I, I've been reading through Homer's Iliad lately. I've never actually read that book, and so I figured it'd be a good time to do it, so I'm working my way through it. And what's fascinating to me about that book is the way they talk about death. That in Homer's Iliad, you die and everybody goes to the same place. Everybody ends up going to this place of Hades, which is the realm of the dead. And that's really all you got. So you've got to live a life and die a noble and proud death to leave an incredible legacy about yourself because that's really the only thing you have going for you once the grave hits. And it's that mentality that the death is the end that was dominating the mind of the Thessalonians so that they were worried about their loved ones who had died in the faith. They had a number of brothers and sisters and, and friends and family members who had faith in Jesus Christ who died before Jesus came back. Which meant, them, which meant to them that they missed it. That they weren't going to be there when Jesus returned. They missed the second coming because their hope was gone. Death had won. And so speaking into this, notice what St. Paul says to them today. We do not want you to grieve like that without hope. Notice what he doesn't say to them today. He doesn't say this. We don't want you to grieve at all. Because of course we should grieve over death. Death is not a friend of ours. Death is an enemy. Death is the result, the consequence of sin. Death is painful and it is hard. When we die, you don't just sort of 
pass away on into the netherworld to take on some new form of existence where you float on a cloud and play a harp and eat Philadelphia cream cheese. Though it is worth noting, Jeff, I don't know where he is, he wasn't here last service, uh, either. Jeff said to me, he was okay with the harp situation. I don't know about that. But uh, that's, not, that's not really the picture you get from the scriptures. Death is the enemy. It's the problem. It's the thing that needs to be dealt with. Jesus himself grieves death. Remember that great account of Jesus when he went to visit his friend Lazarus? Lazarus had died. He'd been in the tomb for four days, and Jesus arrives at the tomb of Lazarus. You remember this account? You remember what Jesus did when he first got to the tomb? He wept. Jesus wept. He wept because his friend was dead. He grieved death. And yet, what did Jesus do right after that? He opened up the tomb and brought Lazarus out alive. He rescued Lazarus from the clutches and the jaws of death. So in other words, what do we see Jesus doing? Grieving, but with hope. Seeing seeing Jesus' tears and hearing Paul speak today, we are reminded of the reality of grief. And even we might say, I mean, if we see Jesus weeping, we can even say something like this, that grief is good. Charlie Brown is right. There is such a thing as good grief, you see. Grief acknowledges now that something is wrong. It acknowledges pain and anger and confusion and frustration and sorrow with the way things are in this world of sin and death. Grief acknowledges that we are living now in a way where things are not right. That is why it is good to grieve death. It is good to cry at funerals. We should weep when death takes those we love. But we do not do so without hope. There is such a thing as hopeless grieving, as Paul says today, and that is the grieving that comes to those who have no hope in the resurrection and the coming of Jesus Christ. It's the grieving of those who believe that death is the end, that death gets the last word. It's the grieving of those who do not know Jesus, who deny or reject his word, or who have no faith in him. For them, it is a hopeless grief. But it is not that way for you who have Christ Jesus. For you, dear Christian, grief is an acknowledgement of the pain of death, but it does not acknowledge the victory of death. Grief is good because it drives us to the one who has conquered the grave and promised to turn our mourning into dancing and our tears into laughter. Grief drives us to Jesus Christ. So Paul says today, we are not to grieve as those who have no hope, but we grieve with a great deal of hope. So it is good for us in this veil of tears to weep now, to grieve over death and sin and sorrow. But into the midst of this, dear dear brothers and sisters in Christ, let, let me just give you Jesus. Let me just give you the Lord and the hope that he brings. St. Paul writes, we do not want you to grieve as those who have no hope, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. In other words, death comes, but it doesn't last. 
Unlike the ancient view that said death was the end, Jesus comes along and he says, no, death is temporary. And we need to remember this as Christians because I think even as Christians, we have a lot of confusion about death and the end times and all of that kind of stuff. And a lot of times we do think this way that sort of only ours is more like a, a more positive picture, right? Like you die and you go to heaven and that's it. That's the end of the story. But that's not what the scriptures teach. Like you die... Yeah, you, you go to heaven and that's a good thing, but that's, you know, not it. As one of my friends said recently, there's life after, life after death. Or as one of my great professors at the seminary would say, heaven is great, but it's not the end of the world. What's the end of the world? Jesus undoing death. The resurrection of the dead, which we confess we believe every Sunday when Jesus will return and bring our bodies out of the grave into a et new, eternal, deathless, blissful life. And Paul says to those of the Thessalonian church who are worried their loved ones missed it, listen, you guys, when he does this, it is going to be so loud and thrilling that it will literally wake the dead. See, Jesus conquered death when after dying on the cross to forgive you for your sins he rose again on the third day and tells us today this this activity of jesus this rising from the dead is not just a fact of history that took place two thousand years ago though it certainly is that it's a fact of history that took place two thousand years ago for you so that even though you die you will live to be with the lord or as paul says today through jesus god will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And what a wonderful name to call death. A blessed sleep. I like it because I think it's kind of an insult to death. Death which is so proud of all it has accomplished. Death which thinks it is so strong and mighty. St. Paul looks at it dead in the eyes, <laughs> no pun intended, and says this, I won't dignify you with any power, death. You are nothing more than a blessed nap from which Christians will rise with a renewed body, a renewed energy, and a renewed creation where death, you will no longer be welcome. And notice how Paul says this to us today, that it is a promise. It is given with certainty. Notice this beautiful phrase he uses again. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul says, this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. That is to say, this is not our denomination's view of how things are going to work out after we die. This is not a philosophical construct or a theological opinion. St. Paul says this is a word from God. God is declaring this to you so you can be certain that it is true. And listen, Pastor Matt and I were talking about this this last week. You guys, there's a lot of you who really need to hear the certainty of this promise. Because we have a conversation with a lot of you, and I think you're trying to sound humble, and you're trying to sound pious and say, boy, I just hope I make it at the end. Boy, I hope he lets me in. Boy, I sure hope I've done enough to make it, you know, and all that kind of nonsense. Listen, I mean, I'm sorry, that's a little aggressive. But listen, you haven't done enough to get in. You never will. Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ did everything necessary to get you in, and now he's promised that you'll be in. There's no need to doubt this, and there's no need to be uncertain. Christ has done it for you. It's a promise. It's a word from the Lord. So you don't have to worry that your sins are going to keep you out. Why? Because Jesus died for all of them on the cross and washed them away in his blood. He's not even thinking about them anymore. And you don't have to worry that death is going to keep you out because even if you die, he'll raise you up again on the last day and bring you into his presence. 
And for you and I who, you know, prayerfully might still be alive when Jesus returns, well, listen, we'll be caught up to greet him in the air and we'll welcome him in and we'll celebrate with him for all of eternity, so writes Paul. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So these are the realities we live in, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. We live in a world filled with grief and sorrow, this veil of tears. But not for long. For Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ is coming again, and he's coming again for you. It's a promise. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the promises you have made to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, that he has promised us eternal life in you. Lord, convince us of the truth of these promises. Convict us, Lord, of our need to trust and grant us hearts to believe. Lord God, watch over us with all of your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.